Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, son. Great. Today on Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we have not one but three guests from the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom. Director Matthew McCoy and board member Rick St. Vincent and Jeff Roper. If you haven't heard or are wondering what the Friends of Dreamland nonprofit is, it's a group of everyday people who in 2009 united in the mission, or maybe I should say vision, of saving the Dreamland Ballroom. And now you're thinking, what's the Dreamland Ballroom? It's the third floor of the Taborian Hall in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas, that was built in 1917 by the International Order of Twelve Knights and Daughters of Tabor. Again, you're asking, who are the Knights and Daughters of Tabor? They are an African-American fraternal organization founded in 1846, an anti-slavery society. Though credited for many good works, they may be best known as the sponsors of the Taborian Hospital, a black person's hospital. I think of the services provided by the Knights and Daughters of Tabor as a kind of government within a government, our country's first welfare system, Negro Americans taking care of the sick, widowed, and orphaned within their own community. It wasn't until 1935, 90 years later, that FDR established our current welfare system for all Americans, probably modeling it somewhat after what the Knights and Daughters had done. In addition to the Knights and Daughters' interesting and important history, there is the music legacy. It is believed that Dreamland was the smallest theater on the famous Chitlin Circuit, having hosted such greats as Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington, Earl Hines, Etta James, Ella Fitzgerald, Red Fox, and Nat King Cole, just to name a few. 1990, the Taborian Hall was saved from the wrecking ball by me, Carrie McCoy, and currently on the first and second floors is the home of flagandbanner.com. Today, we're going to have a brave conversation to talk about everything. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the table fellow visionaries, lovers of old buildings, music enthusiasts, and endearing friends, Jeff Roper and Rick St. Vincent, and my son, Matthew McCoy. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Hello. You're going to have Hi, to behave. <laughs> hey, Mom, I love that. Y'all are going to have to behave. These are my cronies. <laughs> we were just laughing before the show about behaving. All right, let's start at the beginning. Jeff, or you're, not behaving. Or not behaving. Jeff, you're <laughs> in the hot seat first. Ah. You were one of my first recruits, a founding board member of the Friends of Dreamland Ballroom. Tell everyone what your current career is, and about our first meeting. Well, currently I'm the Family Services Director for Habitat for Humanity, which is a fantastic organization. I'm very happy to have, in the pandemic, uh, gained uh, a new job. You may remember I was working for you at the time at Flag and Banner, so it did cost you an employee. 
no but it was worth it everybody give an applaud for habitat for humanity yes when he came in and said carrie i got some good news and bad news i'm quitting but i'm going to work for the habitat for humanity i said oh my god jeff that's so good (laughs) all right so you and i met the root cafe was having a pre one-year anniversary fundraiser at docks and i got invited to go and i was there and aside from uh, meeting you the thing i remember most is there was a, a dude there that had his hair in dreads and he had a jacket on and something looked a little off and he had a rat on his shoulder that would walk back and forth across the top of his back what and, awesome. and yeah it wasn't very long at all to where you saw everybody going like that and like the whole room was just pointing to, look at that dude he's got a rat on his back <laughs> um but you and I met and had a great well, time together. Well, finish that story. Yeah, why I'm, was that rat on don't, there? Don't, don't, <laughs> come on, man. What, am I going to go ask him, why do you have a rat? No, no. we're asking you. You no, did I don't do know. that? It's like, that'll be the first thing that I did. <laughs> just I'd a, be like, what's its name? How'd you get it? Oh, no. Why is it on your back? Yeah. Mm, no. He didn't look like anybody I really wanted to have a conversation yeah, with. The, the guy or the rat? Either one of them. Because <laughs> if the rat started talking... Yeah, well, I wouldn't. That would be some good LSD. (laughs) It It sounds cute. It's like Ratatouille. It's his mushroom story, maybe. Yeah. All right. Okay. I told y'all it was going to get out of control. (laughs) And then you you knew that I worked at the rep. And um, genius on your part, you reached out to somebody in the arts community. And uh, and I said, well, man, I'd like to help you, Carrie, but I work at a nonprofit. I don't have any money to offer. And you said, oh, that's okay. I just like your vibe. Come join us. <laughs> and all of that is true. Yep. Sounds about right. <laughs> None of us have any money that work for the dreams of, for the friends of Dreamland Ballroom, where it's all about the endearing passion that we feel for it. Yes. You know, it really is. We're just average people. I said it in our opening. We're just average people that share a vision, you know. Rick, you're next. You come on the board the second year. You're the not a founding, year. but you're the second. This is also your second time to be on this show. When I started it yeah. in uh, 2016, you were one of my first people to come on because you're you are an entertainer. Well, I was also a radio person. Yeah, yeah. listen to that yeah. voice. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, how did we tell us about your multi talents, which you're about to, and then tell us how we, and then tell the story of how we re- reconnected after years. Okay. Um, my multi-talents. Um, just hold the reins tight, man, so that you can see blood coming from my lips. Well, you, there's Otis. What about your multi-personalities? There's Otis. Well, those are all, all of that stemmed uh, from radio. I used to get radio jobs all across the United States. I was at 17 or more radio stations in eight different states, six different cities. And uh, I did radio and people hired me because I could come on and give them four or five different characters. So Old Man Otis was one. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was uh, Country Bumpkin. Uh, hey, 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 I was down here last night. I, I didn't even see you over there. <laughs> That's him, you know. Uh, uh, I did a lot of commercials with the Gold Pirate who used to, uh, I used to use him in when I was in Jackson, Mississippi, WJMI in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, we did Oh, maybe three to five commercials for Chocolate Soldier. I don't know if anybody's familiar with Chocolate Soldier. It was a little drink that you would get at the uh, convenience stores, and you could buy Chocolate Soldier. And I was the 
I was the go-to guy for the company of Chocolate Soldier who would come to Jackson, Mississippi and have me to write and produce these commercials. So if you go back to, say, 83, you may have heard this guy go, All right, listen up, you private. What's the first thing you like about being a chocolate soldier? Well, sir, I'll, 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 the first thing I like, sir, is I'll, I'll, it, I'm just rich and creamy. <laughs> You're going to grow up to be a real good private one day, soldier. Oh, thank, thank, thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. You know, So I, I would do those kinds of things. I can't go back now because that's been a while, but I did a lot of production in radio for a long time. And it's and, obvious. <laughs> and then, but, but really, your talent is is what you just did but it's also your woodworking well that's that's, that's how what, i first that's met how you. i got into the woodworking it was because i was in radio and i was here and some guys were crapping on me not quite like the rabbit the rat going across the grass but the same feeling okay you got something unwanting on your shoulders and i said look forget it got out of that and got into uh woodworking uh so i've been making wood product for Beautiful. 40 yeah, 40 years. Beautiful I'm actually stuff. forced into retirement right now. By so, COVID? Uh, not, not, well, somewhat by COVID, but uh, yeah, somewhat by COVID, for sure. Um, Things got rough. Yeah, they do. They sold the building that I was in because of COVID. The guy had apartments and houses, and he had one commercial building. The apartments and houses weren't paying, so he sold the building to get money, and I was mm-hmm. part of that collateral damage. And then how did we reconnect after all these years? We reconnected because I used to go by your shop with my dog, India. I had a boxer, a Brindle boxer, pretty dog Good for 11 dog. years. And I would take Brind- I would take this dog past your place, flag and banner, and say hello to you and others. Uh, I think uh, Kathleen and I, I can't remember who, but it used to be about three or four women standing outside smoking mm-hmm. cigarettes. And I would pass. It was them. not me. I was not doing <laughs> that. I wanted to be. But. Yeah. And I'd pass sure. them and go walk my dog and come back. So that's how I knew you. My shop was down the street. And I had two shops right next to you. And then you disappeared. And I disappeared. Yeah. For I guess I didn't see you for a decade. We were like, where's that good looking dog and his good looking boxer? And then all of a sudden you call me what? up out of the woods. <laughs> 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 what? That's right. She didn't even, that wasn't even a joke. I don't think. The thing is that we, we did reconnect <laughs> and I joined the uh, Friends of Dreamland and uh, I'm the guy at the Friends of Dreamland. I'm the guy that's the, sort of the guardrails. And I and I would always say, well, look, you know, uh, there's a bunch of people here in this city that have have different points of view about you having this building. And I would go out and fight for that and say, look. Just go ahead and say it. I said it's going to be a brave conversation. I'm white. I own a black person's building. Right, right. But the thing is that the community had let the building decay over, what, 20 years or more? Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. It was months from the wrecking ball. It was one of the last buildings on 9th Street other than uh, Mosaic Templars, which burned. And then they reconstructed it uh, pretty much the same way as it was. But. I'm thinking this woman came in and spent her money, her time, and her energy and put this thing back on the map. Why are you upset? If I see you fall out of a plane and I'm Superman and I catch you, why are you mad because I wrinkled your pants on the way down? Now that is an abstract thought. <laughs> All right, on that note, I'm moving to you. I love it, though. On, on that thought, I'm moving to you, Matthew, uh, son Matthew, as you often say in your, tours of, in your tours of Dreamland, which are often, this is your destiny. Tell us why. 
Uh, so you actually bought Taborian Hall the year I was born, <laughs> uh, in 1990. So I've kind of literally grown up in in the building. You know, and but it wasn't until I think I moved back. I mean, really, in my mid 20s, and I moved back to Little Rock, and I started really getting familiar with the history uh, of the building that I realized how actually awesome it is and how awesome the history it is. You know, I was, oh, it's beautiful. It's great. I love it. I grew up in there and it's, and I have this deep connection with it because of that. Um, but then I got to really know the history and I, um, and I was kind of honestly flabbergasted with myself because I didn't, it was shocking to me that I didn't know that history already. Just even the fact that I grew up in the building, the fact that I lived in Little Rock my whole life, I mean, why didn't I know that history already? And um, and so that kind of led me into a deeper dive of of this whole conversation. You know, what happened to Ninth Street? What happened to all this stuff? And um, what Rick? Ramos I, I want to ask you a question on that point. Um, you didn't know the history, and you lived in Little Rock, so that tells me that somebody in Little Rock or some entity of Little Rock <laughs> determined that this is not something they're going to teach. Yeah, you, somebody sometimes said this is important, and I said that's ridiculous. This is I mean, it's not only important, it's cool. It's like a very awesome building with an amazing legacy. Like that musical legacy is insane. That's heartbreaking. You know, and uh, I kind of got this energy and, for it and, and was like, I felt like my, uh, my deal with this space is to share this history now. Like mm-hmm. I, accessibility to this history is, is what I can do now, you know. Speak to the feeling you get upon ascending the chair, the stairs to dreamland. It's very, well, you know, I've been up there so many times, it's hard to, it's almost hard to remember that first time, you know, or that first time, especially when I came back and looked at it and it was so much, you know, the floors were so nice. And because I remember growing up and walking up there and it was all, you had all the scrap flags as the floor and there was this color coded path that you walked, you know, uh, to not fall through the floor. Um, but uh, you know, walking through and walking in there and it just has this gravity about it. You know, it's the it's it's kind of the sadness of COVID that's really been the thing. I haven't been able to do my tours and getting people in that space, you immediately see them become passionate about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they can see a thousand pictures of it and be like, what a cool, beautiful place and read that legacy and go, wow, this so these people performed here, you know, uh, in our town. Like, that's crazy. But then when you're in there, you feel that you mm-hmm. feel that legacy you mm-hmm. feel that gravity of that legacy and it's something else now we want to talk about the music legacy who wants to talk about the music legacy carrie i brought somebody with me oh dear he, he, <laughs> okay he worked at he worked at dreamland okay and when i knew i was coming over here i asked the gentleman would he come with me and sort of you know just a couple of stories about what he did is mr otis Mr. Otis, you know, come here for a minute. Come here. Come here. You, you worked, you worked uh, outside of Dreamland as a uh, valet? Yeah. It, who, who, did you, who did you see as a, as a valet? Who did you see that, you know, would perform there at Dreamland? Uh, I remember uh, Nat King Cole. He was there. I helped him get out the car one day, and uh, Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, y'all. Old flake. <laughs> Thanks, Otis. He's a performer. You can't stop him. I love it. That was a great way to talk about the people that are there. Well, yes, Jeff. Um, 
somebody who doesn't get mentioned very often that I think because of Dancing in the Dreamland maybe should get a little more run. And Sammy Davis Jr. played there. I just I don't think you, I remember. You really that. can't name any performer from the yeah. early twentieth century like black dancing, performer, and, 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 the, and they probably the Robinson brothers crazy. played there. Mm-hmm. The Ro- Rosetta Tharp. Yeah, but she's not oh, much yeah. of a hoofer. <laughs> well, and she's from Arkansas, so it makes a little more sense. You what know, does that for her. even mean? Yeah. A hoofer. She doesn't dance. Yeah. No, you don't dance. Uh, ba, 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 no. So uh, being a hoofer was being a dancer back in the forties. I don't think that uh, I knew Sammy Davis Jr. played there. Is that right, hey. son? As far as I know, I mean, it really is. It it really is. If you can think of, you know, a famous performer from the years nineteen twenty to nineteen fifty sixty, they probably performed there. Elvis Presley. I cannot find where Elvis Presley. No, no there's he no way he performed that. there. He yeah. would not have done that. He yeah, black, sorry, at, black performance. Yeah, for he sure. would have probably been at Robinson. Yes. Yeah. And, Still would be surprised. And there was a big overlap in ownership between Robinson and the Dreamland. And the guy who did a lot of the booking, uh, the booking company that ran Dreamland also booked bands at Robinson. So their company could have booked Elvis Presley to play at the Robinson. They, he, they certainly would not have. Booked him to play at Dreamland. Let me give you something that uh, I I would imagine that Bill Bojangles Robinson came to Dreamland. I haven't seen any photographs or anything like that. But when I did radio in St. Louis, I was talking about Bill Bojangles Robinson. I was up at uh, KATZ and I was doing overnights. A lady called up and said, I knew your uncle. And I said, what what are you saying, ma'am? She says, I knew your uncle. I knew Bill. Bill Bojangles Robinson is an uncle of mine, married my grandmother's aunt. And she, her name is Flossie, and she actually lived or actually hung out at a little place called um, Leo's or something like that. It was down the street from my grandmother's house. And so when I got off work, I went over there and met her. And she used to travel on the train with Bill Bojangles Robinson and about seven or ten other Who's dancers. Who's Bill Bojangles Robinson, y'all? He's the guy Mr. that brought Shirley Temple. Mr. Bojangles, oh. that song, that song is about my uncle. Oh, yeah. Bill so Bojangles. why did uh, so why did so tell our listeners why and how the Dreamland got so many great performers because it was a small theater. It was well, he he mentions it in his uh, tours that it's part of that Chitlin Circuit of the South. Yes. The Chitlin Circuit, uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with like the Green Book. Now, you know, there's been a movie and a documentary. This 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 kind of travel guide for uh, Black Americans, and and so the Chitlin Circuit was something in that same kind of field of understanding. The a Chitlin chain Circuit of, yeah. was where Blacks could play without being harassed by folks here in the South. That's but, what the Chitlin Circuit. But was. we ended up getting a lot of great performers in Dreamland that might not would have come there because they were playing at Robinson. No, so no. Uh, yes. Do you play, work for Robinson? They were playing. <laughs> <laughs> She's applying for a job. I mean, tomorrow. yes, yes, and no. So, well, so uh, the beginning of the 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 Chitlin Circuit existed the entire time. It's it, that Dreamland was the popular. Chitlin Circuit existed before Robinson Auditorium. Well, I, I understand Certainly. that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. So when um, you go back to vaudeville and you go back to those times, there was a Chitlin circuit for black entertainers. But Cab where Calloway. Where they could safely go. But here's an example of what I believed happened. Cab Calloway came to play at Robinson. And afterwards, he came and played at, at Dreamland because he was in town playing at Robinson. Right, right. There's actually a record of Cab Calloway playing at Dreamland when he was 17 years old before he was oh, ever wow. even famous. 
And that is a part exclusively of his time on the Chitlin Circuit because the Chitlin Circuit was more of something that was understood by performers than than kind of laymen traveling. So because it was it was a place that you, a performer, a comedian, a musician, a whatever, could travel from place to place and know where you could go and make to do living. your and, and make, make your living. Because the guys who lived in town already knew where they could go. And if you wanted to travel, you had the green book to tell you where to go if you were a, mm-hmm. a, just a tourist at a sort of sense. All right, let's move on to talk about the prosperous people of Ninth Street. I did not know this until I bought that building and I hired Berna Love to, for five years to do research. And she wrote the book that we sell at Arkansas Flag and Banner. Oh, she wrote two books. So Matthew or whoever wants to take this about the prosperous people of Ninth Street. I don't think people realize that African-Americans at the turn of the 20th century were so prosperous and were actually called the prosperous people. If you were an African-American here, Oklahoma, parts of Florida, St. Louis, and other places, Mississippi and all, you were part of a community where People had businesses, they had funeral homes, they had uh, hair salons, they had barbershops, they had car repairs, they had pool halls, they had restaurants, they had whatever you could find. Motels, theaters. All of that. Mm -hmm. Whatever you found in these major cities that belonged to the white community, blacks also had. Yeah, a a city within a city. Right. And it's not that they wanted to have it, but they they were excluded from mingling i mean you know it's mm-hmm. not that far yeah. away oh, yeah, it's yeah. not that far ago when, when people said you can't drink out of that fountain yes yeah, so if you can't drink out of that fountain what do you go to drink you well, you build your own fountain someplace mm-hmm. so they they did that in an effort to have what is afforded to everybody else and then those communities became staples for that community and next thing you know you got four five six blocks or whatever of business of mm-hmm. commerce mm-hmm. of commerce then this kind of plays well into what kind of I was talking about was my initial kind of inspiration for coming back into dreamland is this, you know, I mean, there's a term for this. It's the Harlem Renaissance is what they kind of call this. But it's like you never I'd never learned. I didn't learn that term in school. I learned that term on my own research. Right. You know, so this kind of prosperous era of 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 black history, this uh, is not really taught in schools. You know, it's like when I think about African-American history as a as a white kid. You know, I think about slavery and I think mm. about reconstruction and I think about the civil and then I think about the civil rights. That's like 80 years <laughs> in between those the, those two things I just said. You know, there's this huge gap in what we're taught about. And uh, and all of Taborian Hall and Dreamland Ballroom's history is in that 80, 100 years right there that mm. between reconstruction and uh, the civil rights era. You know, it's literally right. So in let's talk there. about who built uh, the Taborian Hall, the International Order of Twelve Knights and Daughters of Tabor. As I said in the opening, is an African American fraternal organization, best known as sponsoring the Taborian Hospital. They were founded in 1846 as an anti-slavery society. Talk about how much they spent to build it here. In, wasn't it the most expensive building built in our, in Little Rock at the that, time? That year, yeah, nineteen. 19- 16 or 17 yeah it was the most expensive building built in downtown little rock in 1916 mm-hmm. yeah and it was completely funded so the the knights and daughters are um you know a, a mutual aid organization 
you paid dues into. So they, you got memberships and, and you paid dues into it and you got some kind of series of benefits. You know, a lot of what we would consider or what we would be comparable to modern day welfare or insurance, insurance. or funeral Arrangement. Uh, arrangements, you know, uh, uh, a stipend for a widow, a uh, funeral plot, that kind of stuff. Um, and there were a lot of different types. The Mosaic Templars, which now houses the Mosaic Templars Cultural Center, was another mutual aid organization. There was the Knights of Pythias that were also on Ninth Street. Um, I think at the turn of the century in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, there were four or five in Little Rock. Um, uh, the Knights of Pythias, the Taborians, and the Mosaics being, I think, the largest. Mosaic was actually probably the largest in Little Rock at the time. Who is our sister building on Ninth Street, <coughs> mm-hmm. for everybody that doesn't know. We're going to talk about them in a minute. And a PBS documentary called Dreamland Little Rock West Ninth Street kind of talks about the prosperous people, the, the Knights and Daughters of Tabor, uh, the music that we just talked about. Yeah, they do a good job of covering the four big facets of the history of Ninth Street really, really well. Yeah, PBS. Um, sorry, AETN did it. AETN, I'm sorry. Yeah, Our local one. Um, and so I think that's uh, available on YouTube. I definitely know we sell CDs of, or DVDs of it at uh, Flag and Banner. And then in addition, this is something I never thought about, when soldiers or servicemen, because soldiers are just Army, but when servicemen uh, would come to Arkansas, yeah. they would stay at Pike. They would be stationed at Pike, but yet they couldn't stay there when because they were black. And so the Tabano, Rick's laughing. He's just like, you can't yeah. even imagine. But anyway, uh, so the Taborian Hall became the U.S. Officers Club. Yeah. So it was so the, the, the basement World was I World War One was just the basement. But then in World War Two, they were training so many uh, young black men over at Camp Robinson at that time. I think I don't remember if Camp Pike was around for or Camp Robinson <laughs> was around or maybe had a different name for World War One. But in World War Two, they were training 20 to 30,000 18-year-old black men to go to war at any given time. And so they bought all of that of that Taborian Hall building and turned it into the USO. So they the ballroom dances on the top floor. They had offices for the officers on the second floor. And uh, they had rest and relaxation rooms. They had the pharmacy that was in there for years. The bottom floor was locker rooms. And there was a pool hall in the back. And uh, so it was a big R&R space for them because – by and I by World War II, the big issue for these men is that a lot of them weren't from the area, and if they wanted to leave the camp, which you know they wanted to do because they're about to go to war, they want to get their jollies and do their thing, yeah. you know, do whatever. Uh, the only places they had to go were either Washington Avenue and North Little Rock, which was the black back black district over there, or Ninth Street, which had much more of an entertainment district reputation. Um, so. They were coming over to Ninth Street, which when you look at it, you know, you're down there and you look between Mosaic and our building, which is the main stretch of Ninth Street. It's only four blocks, three or four blocks. Yeah, but that was like a downtown. It's not a lot of room for uh, 20,000 18-year-old dudes to come and party. Uh, so Ooh, and when there's already a whole community living there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so um, they were like, okay, we, the community was stressed. It was causing a big issue. And so they bought them this building and they – you know, they put all their um, R&R space there and it and it and um, the rest is history. Yeah, all history. right. It's a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the Friends of Dreamland's executive director, Matthew McCoy and board members, Rick St. Vincent and Jeff Roper. Still to come, 
what Dreamland's plans are for the future, how to get invited, and when is the grand opening of Dreamland. And last, get connected, do good, and feel good about yourself by adding your name or someone you love to the sidewalk of this historic place would make a great Christmas gift. We'll be back after the break. Looking at some of the upcoming guests on Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we will re-feature one of the most compelling interviews Carrie's ever done on Up in Your Business with Madonna Badger. Founder of Badger and Winters Advertising Agency in New York City. Madonna was raised in Kentucky, was an excellent student and an overachiever, evident by her successful business in one of the toughest cities in America, New York City. She was living the American dream when a profound tragedy struck that propelled her into overnight fame for an incident so devastating that even though it was in 2011, many of you will remember it. It was Christmas morning when she awoke to a fire in her upstate New York home that claimed the lives of her three daughters, Lily, Grace, and Sarah, and the lives of her parents, Lomar and Pauline Johnson. I woke up to smoke in my room, and the house was just completely quiet and, you know, really dense black smoke. I couldn't breathe. It was a Victorian, so I was able to crawl out of the window, and there was still scaffolding on the outside of the house. So I ran up the scaffolding on the outside of the house to the third floor, and um, I was able to open the window, um, but I couldn't get in. Don't miss this show before the end of the calendar year as we wrap up the year 2020 on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. We are visiting with Little Rock, Arkansas's Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, Executive Director Matthew McCoy, and board members Jeff Roper (laughs) and Rick St. Vincent. All right, before the break, we talked about the 12 Knights and Daughters of Tabor. We talked about the PBS documentary, Dreamland, Little Rock's West Ninth Street, USO Club, the prosperous people of Ninth Street, the music legacy. If you missed any of that, you should go back and listen to it. I'm pretty impressed with Matthew's knowledge. We were kind of all going, good job, young son. <laughs> um, now I want to talk about the grant and what we're going to do next. So, Jeff, you're de- you're quiet down there, but I'm coming to you. Don't think you're not. You're not getting away, sir. No, no, I'm, I'm fine. Not <laughs> talking about things i don't know about (laughs) fair enough (laughs) uh friends of dreamland uh has received a grant from the national park service to make the ballroom handicapped accessible uh the the national park service has a civil rights grant they realize that all these buildings from the civil rights area in that 80-year era that matthew was talking about are falling into disrepair so let's talk about that grant and uh And the reason for the grant is because we need an elevator to get people up to the third floor. The Dreamland Ballroom is on the third floor. It is not handicap accessible. It does not have a handicap bathroom. We applied for this grant. We were luckily given it. We applied for it again to finish it up. Luckily, we were given it again. And you are might be applying for it again next week. And we might be applying (laughs) for another one next week. So uh, where are we on that grant? Uh, so we are between phase one and phase two. Phase one was the actual, uh, turned out to be just the construction of the addition itself. So if you're driving down 630, you can see that we've added a big portion onto, a big brick portion onto the building. And that will house the structure for the elevator. Um, and that was because the ballroom con- comprises the entire square footage of the building. So to put an elevator in the building, we would have had to have it come up into the ballroom floor, which is not ideal. Oh. Um, so we really had to do this big exterior addition 
Um, and that ended up being almost the entirety, I think, of, of phase one. So all the electrical and all that stuff. It always for, costs more than that. you think. Yeah. No. Well, let me jump in here for mm-hmm. a second because my memory says that the first money we spent was to get tens of thousands of bats safely out of the That's ballroom. That's very true. That's actually completely true. We spent like 20 grand on getting rid of bats and oh, yeah, cleaning up after them. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, that was an ordeal, yeah. But it was done very humanely. Yeah, humanely. No bats were humanely harmed. Humanely moving the, the bats. Yes. Uh, the relevancy of what we are doing. You two guys, Matthew's only been here a couple of years, but you two gentlemen have been with me for the last 10 years and the relevancy of what we are doing seems more important today than in 2009 when we started friends of dreamland it seems like this history and black lives matters and all that's going on today seems like in 2009 was important but today it seems like the conversation is even coming to a head is is even needed more what i would say is this and I'm going to be a philosophical for a second because I, I've been tweeting since I've been free to be at home. I got a response from a guy one day and I, and I tweeted him back and I said this. I said, where else in the universe can we live as humans that we know of? We got powerful telescopes. We're going in outer space. You got SpaceX. You got all that. But there's only one place in the universe that we can live. Mm-hmm. And that is on this planet. And I went on to say a moth in the woods cannot request that a butterfly leave the area. A minnow in a lake can't tell uh, a larger fish or another fish to get out of the water. Okay. We all live here. Every animal lives here. We all live here and it just blows my mind that we have communication and radio and TV and we're always using it, or sometimes it feels like we mostly use it to distance ourselves, to make ourselves hate the other people. When you go to Dreamland Ballroom and you go there and you are there for a ball, which is typically in the first, second week of November for the last 11 years or so. Dancing in the Dreamland, yes. When you go to Dancing in the Dreamland, you have an opportunity to get all fussied up and uh, put your shoes on and your nice outfits and grab somebody that hopefully you are in love with and you want to spend the evening with and you go up there and you see people. You see people. That was you really hear music. well said. You, can, you hear, yeah. you, and it's like, okay, so in these four walls, it's people a love can get fest. along. It's a love fest. And these four walls, people are getting along. They're dancing with each other. They're having fun. They're making jokes. They're eating out of the same damn tray. They're not sharing anymore. drinks. Well, not anymore. Okay, uh, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Okay, Jeff, it's your turn. I but said it's crazy to me. It is an absolute love it's, fest. It's a slingshot yes. in your head. It's way past time for people to just get along. Yeah. You know? Oh, yes. Jeff, and, uh, it, I said you, we were going to talk to you. Yep. Speak to what attracted you to preserving Dreamland and what you see for its future now. Well, I didn't have much history in preservation, um, but I know a good thing when I see it. And to see your passion in it and to be a part of the growth process um, was something that I had never done before. Um, But you talked about when you take somebody up to upstairs, like when you did it the first time or two. 
to be able to talk to people about Dreamland and, and list off all the names and, and talk to them, I know they're seeing me lighten up and, and, and be passionate and start like Matthew banging on the, on the table <laughs> and my voice gets higher. And it's just, it, it's just the, the electricity of being involved in that place. Um, and then when you start to take people for tours or when you, you're up there and, you know, I ran Dancing into Dreamland for a number of years and you see all these performers who've done the research, they know what's going on, and then they walk in there and they see this cathedral to performing. It's just magical. I mean, it's just, you, there's there's no tiring of people's reaction whenever they breach the stairwell and open up into this giant cathedral. It's it's just magical. It really is. And it's that way, like, empty. You know? Yeah. And, it's so, like it's, way and empty. so when you have people, or you're the person performing, or you're the person seeing the performance in there, like, you know, I always say the ghosts come out of the wall. Like, an energy is, like, yeah, palpable, you know, that something comes out of those old walls and... And it's and to see and I refer to it as like you know to see the old girl all dolled up for dancing into Dreamland <laughs> when you, you've got the lights and the sound. I'm not talking about her. <laughs> the old girl all dolled okay. up. <laughs> okay, back, come on back. Come but on the, back. the tables with the tablecloths and the decorations and everybody walking around with wine glasses and they're in their you know Sunday best and. And people are dancing and stuff. It just, it's really, it takes you back to, oh my gosh. And there's that great scene in the documentary where they actually have people dancing and a jazz band playing. It's just remarkable to see it come to life. You're right. It is amazing when you walk in and, and you've got all that, you said gravity earlier. Um, but it's also great to see her all dolled up and actually being used for, like we talked about bringing the party back. Actually see a party in there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's just a safe place for everybody. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I like about it. I like, a, I like a place where you can be you. You can take risks. Those dancers are taking risks. Us girls putting on our outfits are taking risks. The guys are taking risks. Everybody's coming in there, and it's a safe place to take risks of all kind, social, artistic. Um, so what do you want next for Dancing into Dreamland? We're about to get the dream. We're about to get the theater up. We're about to get the elevator up. What do we see that we're going to do with it? Matthew, talk to me about what historical reenactments, partnering with Mosaic Templars. You know, I mean, nothing's set in stone, but the dream, you know, on that front is to um, kind of like I said earlier, make that history as accessible as possible, as available as possible, because it's not always taught to people in the most in their conventional education environment. So, um, you know, my obligation, the thing that I feel most obligated to is, is making that history available. And part of doing that is one, this public access project that we're doing, you know, getting people in there to physically see the history of that crazy space and feel that gravity and all that, um, is a big part of that. Uh, being a part of my tour is just listening to the history, you know, me recite facts is one way to do it. But really the most engaging way is to is to have it creatively told to you in some in some kind of way. You know, you go to the uh, historic Arkansas Museum and see a girl turn butter and then you turn butter with her. You know, I mean, you just get this like action that makes you remember the history that you're learning, that you're being told, you know. And so I see that as a huge part of what we do up there when we're t- 
telling the story of the history of the and uh, mosaic templars is our sister uh building at the other end yeah they're the they're the people in town in charge of interpreting this interpreting this history you know as a middle class white boy i don't have that ability i can tell you facts i can do stuff like that but you know i don't have the perspective the appropriate perspective to really interpret this history whereas an organization like mosaic templars is so essential and so awesome that we have that here because they can take that history and they can interpret it they can I mean, if you look at all their programming, it's so creative and so interesting, and it's all about sharing, interpreting history. It's, that's what's in their mission, you know. Yeah. And so they're going to be an absolutely integral part of what we do moving forward. So, Dancing into Dreamland, we didn't get to have, like Jeff said, he has worked Dancing into Dreamland backstage. He has he has handled the dancers for the last eleven years. The first one was at the governor's mansion, and then then we did it twice at the governor's mansion, and then we got the Dreamland's floor, and we be, we've done the rest of them at Dreamland. This year we didn't do it, but Matthew, we had dancers come up and do a video. Creative New Creations New Dance New Company, Creation. yeah, they did a really fun thing. They were actually a winner a couple years ago. Um, of the event and, and for people that don't know what dancing into dreamland is it's eight dance teams come out and dance with the and the audience votes with text voting mm-hmm. and there's a panel of judges that vote and the winner gets five hundred dollars uh the judges winner gets a cash prize and the and then the people's choice also don't let anyone leave the radio station without knowing that this is not the dance that is happening in their head when you say eight mm-hmm. different people you're talking about Eight different dances in some cases. Eight different types oh, of yeah, dancing. It's completely different styles yeah. of dance. So, so yeah. it's not just what you're thinking in your head. Okay, they're going to all compete in tango. They're going to all compete. It's not all ballroom. Right? No, no. It's not all ballroom or any of that. It's not all any one. The belly dancers won one year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The and, guys uh, like that one. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, have, they have a variety of different dances that they do and it's not about the dance that they do. It's about how well they do the dance mm-hmm. that they do. It's mm-hmm. the community, Definitely. too. Yeah. It's taking risks. I love dance. It's something I really love. So I, I, the part that if you were to ask me what I love about Dreamland and what I want to see happen to Dreamland, I want to continue to celebrate dancers. Mm-hmm. They don't get enough credit. It's so hard to get ready for a dance. You know, it takes months to practice and get ready, and then you get the outfit and the music, and you come out and you perform it for everybody. I want to get, turn that into not just an Arkansas performance, but I would like to have regional dancers come to Dancing in the Dreamland. It's our only fundraiser that we have a year. We are going to edit the video that we got of that one dancer for all those people that want a Dancing in the Dreamland fix. Be sure that you have gone to dreamlandballroom.org and you have signed up for the email so that we can email you the YouTube video of those people dancing. We're going to edit it. We're it's also fun. It's very fun. Splice it in with, I think, some past dances, little tribute video kind of. If you want to see what Dancing into Dreamland is like, you can even go to Dreamland Ballroom's YouTube channel and there is a five-minute um, highlight reel highlight. from last year. Yeah. There sure is. And it it's just... Fabulous. It's, it's really very, fun. It's really fun. For uh, right now, if you want to get involved or you um, looking for a Christmas present, uh, we are selling, Matthew's selling bricks at the dreamlandballroom.org. You can buy someone a brick for Christmas, not coals, not switches, but a brick. <laughs> and um, we it'll will, surprise them. It'll surprise mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and the money that goes that. to that all goes to the restoration and everything that we're trying to do. There is um, also. And it's not just. Let, define mm-hmm. the brick. It's not a brick. You're not just buying a brick. You're it's buying, engraved. You're buying an engraved brick at the mm-hmm. entrance. With that'll be in the ground 
in an area around Dreamland Ballroom, around uh, mm-hmm. the Borean Hall, mm-hmm. and it's got information in there that will directly connect the viewer to whoever you are. Mm-hmm. That's about $200, $250, I think. But if you want elevated donating, you can get your name on a bronze plaque in the hallway to the new elevator edition for $5,000, Matthew? Uh, I don't know, but it's on. It's, it's all on there. It's all online. Call With Matthew. Everything How about else. that? Just yeah, call just Matthew. Just give me a call. Uh, guys, I've sure enjoyed being with y'all. I've got y'all gifts. I've got you both a t-shirt from the Dreamland Ballroom. Yay. Uh, what about that bottle of water that you gave out earlier? Uh-huh. I emptied mine. There we go. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on me. Get you, you know, guys. I miss seeing you know, y'all during COVID. Do you know that I, I love you and there's I not a you. doggone thing you can do about it? <laughs> I love I, you I too. Know, I know you're upset. I know we love each other. <laughs> we all love each other. Um, love this color. That's uh, that's on the walls. Now let's say it's the pink and green in the that's ballroom. The green. Yeah, yeah, that's the green. All right. Oh, it's All right. Close like you get in a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I really enjoyed being with y'all. In closing, Thanks, I want to say to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening, and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up in Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, contact me, Gray. That's G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple to help you live the American dream.